This is the San Francisco Experience with your host, Jim Herlihy. Independent news commentary with a California perspective, featuring newsmakers, thought leaders, and authors. Season 12, Episode 1, California 2021 Wrap-Up and 2022 Outlook. Talking with Professor David McEwen, Chair of the Political Science Department, Sonoma State University. California politics were especially tumultuous in 2021. And joining us today from his home in Sonoma is Professor David McEwen to help us put it all in perspective and to give us a prelude to 2022. Hi, David, and welcome to the show. Well, hello. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to be on with you. Well, David, what were some of the highlights of 2021? And what does your crystal ball tell us might be in store for 2022? You know, if you think about California and where it's at, where it's been the last year and what's happened under COVID, what's happened with a recall election, drought, wildfire, changes in in criminal justice, uh, economic mobility and inequality, California really is that place where it has become the epitome of all that is right with the American dream and all that is wrong with the American dream. And so as we think about the last year, think forward to what is coming in 2022 and beyond. California represents so much of the national conversation, and I'd argue that San Francisco and the Bay Area are the center of that conversation. And so there's a lot of lessons, I think, to learn, to think about moving forward, especially for how that affects economic life, social life, and certainly our politics. The recall would be front and center with that, but so would Nancy Pelosi, so would Kamala Harris, so would Gavin Newsom, all in some level, you know, really core San Franciscans and at the same (laughs) level, also representative of something much larger. And that really, I think, speaks to more broadly where California is in the national picture and where things are going. And that's a conversation I look forward to having today. Now, 2022, of course, the governor has to run for re-election. He's just come off winning the recall election, but that is behind us. And of course, in 2022, he's got a primary to face, and he also has to run for re-election in November. Do you want to start there, David, and give us your give us your thoughts on that, Brace? Sure. I mean, if, if you look at the results of the recall, you see that Gavin Newsom did really well in terms of repeating his 2018 shellacking of Republicans. He defeated John Cox, 2018, 62 38, basically. He had exactly the same mirrored vote this time out in the recall, spent a lot of money, and it certainly appeared to backfire as a tactic against Republicans. But this is a governor who's also had some difficulty. He started the year, if we go back and look at public opinion polling, in the first quarter of the year, he was in the low 40s. He was in a place that was was in on January 6th when things were going on in Washington, D.C., and the upheaval there Gavin Newsom was in in the low 40s, and then obviously he he crawled back from that. You look at what's happened under COVID and the mandates. You look at more broadly the tactic of the recall and and how the recall was used by the Newsom forces to talk about Donald Trump around the clock, to focus on COVID-19 and the safety protocols there. All of that worked to Gavin Newsom's benefit. But there's an opening or an opportunity for him to really become a 
much more prominent national democratic figure, especially as the political fortunes of Kamala Harris, the vice president, have gone a completely the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. As Speaker Pelosi is facing what is what looks like to be a wave of Republicans that are going to sweep back into the House and maybe even possibly take over the Senate. So Gavin Newsom has the potential to play that national political role. But his governorship in California has really been uneven. While they've done a lot under COVID and gone farther than just about any other governor in the country, there's this frequent backlash effect against that, against what happens with kids and vaccines or what happens with uh, mass mandates and, and protocols. And all of this, I think, speaks more broadly to California facing a political earthquake every 10 to 15 years over the last, say, 60 years. But the recall did not end up being one of those places partly because Larry Elder became, if you will, the the symbol of Trump in California. Donald Trump is not very popular in this state. And Governor Newsom was able to raise a boatload of money. Democrats showed up because they were scared. And this is a state where only one in four Republican, one in four voters is a Republican. And so that means you're going to have to win if you are Republicans with a lot of independent voters. And they didn't seem to come out in big numbers And those that did seem to vote for putting the recall on the ballot and then either stayed off the recall question or voted for Gavin Newsom to return to Sacramento. Now, in 2022, of course, he's up for reelection for a second term as governor. What are some of the political challenges that he faces? Of course, the universal health care comes to mind, CalCare which is being pushed by the California Nurses Authority. I'm sure you are more familiar than I with some of the other potential pitfalls and some of the potential victories that may lie in store for him. If you look at the governor, and and the governor has been ambitious from when he first came in and gave that first State of the State address in, in January 2019. That time he talked about homelessness and housing then COVID hits shortly thereafter, a year later. And when COVID hits, the, the governor changes his tune. But since that time, California's budget has continued to grow and grow. And it's going to face uh, yet another surplus or have uh, for the governor another surplus, which is going to face some pressure from Democratic legislature. Democrats, more than you know, Democrats have this backlog of, of issues and things they want to do whether that's, again, about droughts and wildfire or about education or about inequality or about criminal justice. All of this backlog of things, health care and providing health care for all, would certainly be near the top of that list. But housing and homelessness remain right there as issues that the governor has certainly built his political career on from when he did Care Not Cash in San Francisco and he's continued on from that. But also, this is a guy who has deep, deep ambition and commitment to doing more. And in a budget that has been a surplus, where they gave out lots of prizes over the last, say, six to eight months as a buildup to the recall, now they're facing some stuff, tougher choices because you not only have a Democratic demands pent up in the legislature, you have Democratic turnover and overall legislative turnover where more than half of the legislature leaves in the period after 2024. So there's a lot of churning in the legislature and a lot of change there that's going to alter the demands for the for the guy who emerges from the recall at the center of Democratic ambitions nationally is in the catbird seat 
politically speaking. Can he turn that into political accomplishments while dealing with some very difficult issues and demands? And I think that has been the difficulty of a Newsom governorship is that it's a lot of sizzle, not enough steak. The details around cannabis, the details around guns, the details around how you deal with global climate change, uh, maybe, you know, one of the challenges of our times or the depth of inequality around uh, or how that affects housing, homelessness and health care. All of those devils in the details really have betwixt this governor and he needs a policy success if he's going to move into that place that is national in scope. He has that potential. Can he live up to that and deliver on that potential? I think that's a huge unknown for him, despite having an easy route to re-election with really no challengers on the horizon. Alex Padilla, Senator Padilla, faces his first re-election as senator. He doesn't look like there's anyone there. So Republicans are going to look down ballot because they're not going to have success at the top of the ballot. Let's come back to the issue of homelessness and also affordable housing in California, because here in San Francisco in the last couple of weeks, Mayor London Breed pivoted essentially on the issue of homelessness, has taken a a tougher stand on homelessness, trying to clean up the tenderloin. She's not the first mayor to try to do that. But the introduction of ambassadors and tougher policies in the tenderloin seem to mark a pivot And of course, she's getting ready for re-election in 2023. So I imagine that's part of it. But of course, Gavin Newsom has been down the street before in San Francisco with Care Not Cash, which was moderately successful. What are your your thoughts about what's going on here in San Francisco with homelessness? And is that a direction? Is is that a direction that the state may be following in? Is London Breed giving the mayor a guidepost, if you will, to maybe be a little tougher on homelessness as a result of the measures she's taken here in the Tenderloin? Yeah, that's a, that's a fantastic question and, and leaping off point of, of the difficulties of that Democrats have, not just in San Francisco, in big cities across the country, and in California writ large. And it, we have seen this pivot. We saw, we saw Gavin Newsom when he was mayor take a lot of flack over Care Not Cash. He was painted as a progressive and a liberal throughout the country, certainly by conservatives and, and national conservative media. But in San Francisco, his reputation took a hit with Care Not Cash. And certainly London breeds pivot. And then there's another area here, and that's criminal justice reform that makes many Democrats and it puts them in a difficult position. The defund movement has done this. Debates over critical race theory that altered a, a Virginia governor's race. Mm-hmm. All of these culture war moments that Republicans seem to do well with and getting out their voters, particularly in midterm elections. If we visit a similar circumstance with the Tea Party in 2010, if we visit anti-tax uh, term limits rallying cries over the last uh, several decades. All of these moments are inflection points that conservatives have been able to use, ha- have been masked, I would say, by Democratic dominance in California, where almost one in two California voters, you know, basically twice as many voters are Democrats as than Republicans. And, and that has masked some of the difficulty that Democrats have in these uncomfortable situations. So when you look at really difficult thorny issues, issues that persist and seem to lack solutions. 
like housing affordability or like the persistence of homelessness or our chronic insecurity due to both health and the economic situation, that puts democratic leaders and politicians in a difficult place. You could leave the country as an ambassador if you're the mayor of L.A. and go to India. You could get a higher profile with a political cousin if you're a mayor of London Breed. So she's going to need some political cover. She's going to need some, some political help, if you will, from people like Gavin Newsom and Nancy Pelosi and other political heavyweights to go to a place that says you can't just surplus or buy or spend yourself out of this situation. There's going to have to be some tough decisions made. That's a political, politically dicey game that that London Breed as mayor has not always been able to perform well. Mm -hmm. uh, there have been some ups and downs. There's been some difficulties in execution. But with a team behind her that mimics the, the moves of someone like Gavin Newsom, they should be able to paper over that to a certain degree and look at some of these very difficult places for Democrats that don't give them a lot of wiggle room. That doesn't mean a Republican comes in or that she's, you know, faces a, a stiff challenge as mayor. There is some shuffling going on because of reduced 15, because of term limits and, and the politically ambitious in San Francisco, but not in a place that, that challenges London breeds preeminence as a dominant California politician. What's interesting is if she can handle that two-step and that dicey game around healthcare and homelessness and the delivery there, she can also elevate herself into a political sphere that is helpful for her. Well, I think you've outlined, David, that 2022 augurs to be a probably a promising year for Governor Newsom. Now, let's come back to Speaker Pelosi and Vice President Kamala Harris. Let's start with Speaker Pelosi. She's made it clear that she's running again, so she'll be on the ballot for 2022, November 2022. Whether that is her last term or not, I don't know, but she has said that she will be she will be on the ballot. Now, most of the polls seem to indicate that the Democrats are looking to have a shellacking come November. How do you think Democrats will do here in California, particularly those uh, those seats that they won down in Orange County a couple of years ago? I'm sure Nancy has her has her eyes on those in addition to trying to hang on to power in Washington nationally. Let's take a couple of minutes and talk about Nancy Pelosi and the the prospects for a Democrat or a Republican majority in the House of Representatives. Sure. We should to do that. We should start with some some ground rules. What is that? One of the biggest political laws in American politics and American electoral politics. One of the biggest laws of gravity is midterm loss, and that is that the party that's in power at the president's first midterm election tends to lose, and they tend to lose sizably. If the president's popularity is less than fifty percent, according to Gallup, in say June of twenty twenty two or right around July 4th, if that popularity is less than 50%, average midterm loss is 36 seats. Mm. General midterm loss is 29 seats. Republicans take over the House if they win a net of five seats. That's all it takes. Mm. And the reason that Democrats are in the majority is because of what happened in California in 2018 right. when they swept in all of those competitive seats in areas and districts that Hillary Clinton won in 2016 and then Donald Trump becomes president. So there were competitive districts. Democrats showed up and they won those seats. 
they're not likely to hold on to all of those seats or the majority even of those seats because of redistricting, because of the, the brand of Democrats that's going to suffer next year. And, and when you talk to Democratic legislators, office holders and insiders, and I do this all the time, that they seem to think that they're going to be OK next year. Uh, and, and midterm loss or the weight of that is just a huge gravitational pull, a, mm-hmm. a black hole, if you will, of midterm politics that looks like there's going to be a loss of control of the House of Representatives and possibly even in the Senate. And Nancy Pelosi won't be the speaker. So this looks to be her her political kind of, if you will, kind of sunset that's mm-hmm. going on here. Of course, they'll fight like the Dickens to avoid that. But it really looks like Kevin McCarthy is poised to become the Speaker of the House and to really give Democrats a run for their money next year. Now, this is going to happen as Democrats are jockeying for position in those new districts, as someone like Josh Harder loses his district in Congressional District 10. And, and while someone like Devin Nunez decides to leave, move over and go into the media world at some level, th- there still is some difficulty and difficult places for Democrats to hold on to what they gained in 18, to what they held again in 20 in these new districts, in this new setting with a brand that's going to suffer next year. And the, the best indicator, I think, of this looking at what we call strategic retirements. So we look at someone like Jackie Spear, who grew up as a Democratic fighter, mm-hmm. someone who's done a lot for, for women on the, on the power of choice and on women's health care and reproductive rights, but has also been, if you will, a stalwart Democrat from being a staff member, being you know on the tarmac and shot there uh, with Congressman Ryan from uh, Guyana and the People's Temple, all the way through her political career in the legislature and up to Congress. She's getting out. And there are other Democrats that are doing the same across the country. So far, we have about 23. We anticipate that number to go to around 30. That strategic retirement is an indicator inside that while Democrats talk on the outside about what's going on, behind the curtain, they are privately very worried that they're going to lose. And that loss, while it is going to come through California, it's going to be national in scope. And that could really change the fortunes of Nancy Pelosi, Kamala Harris, and Joe Biden. And that means that Gavin Newsom and his team have to consider what is available to them after that. Let's come back to Vice President Kamala Harris. No one would dispute the fact that 2021 has been a very tough year for her. Do you see, of course, going into 2022, which appears it's not going to be a strong Democratic year, what role do you see Kamala Harris playing in the those midterm elections? Will she have a role to play or will she be relegated to to safe Democratic seats? What role do you see her playing in 2022, which, of course, could be an opportunity for her to reposition herself, rebrand herself, or it could also reconfirm doubts that people have about her. So 2022 might be a critical year for the vice president, too. It absolutely is. I mean, if, if Gavin Newsom has re uh, undergone a renovation uh, of his political fortunes in 2021, the vice president's political fortunes have just gone south and, and they've soured. But the potential for her in 2022 is to be in not just safe Democratic districts, but to be in competitive Democratic districts all across the country and Democratic states all across the country on the Senate side. That allows her to build up 
support and to rally the base to show up in a midterm election. Younger voters, voters of color, what we call the emerging uh, electorate or what I call the rising American electorate, the RAE. The RAE has an opportunity to be energized by someone like the vice president. And that's where she's really good. Mm -hmm. And then she's good at electioneering. The governing part, the actual running of the country seems to have been a place where they haven't made – her and her staff have not been able to adjust. But the electioneering and running for office, that part they're really good at in terms of building momentum for Democrats. Yes, she ran for president. She wasn't very good. Uh, there was a, It was a campaign that went sideways at many levels. But she has the opportunity to rally the Democratic base to energize that base across liberal and moderate constituencies of the Democratic Party to help avoid deep, deep losses. So she can come out of 2022 in a stronger place, positioning her moving forward in an influential role in an administration that likely faces a Republican House, if not also a Republican Senate. Let's go forward to this time next year, New Year's Eve, 2022-2023. And Gavin Newsom has been reelected with 65% of the vote, let's say. Uh, The Democrats have lost both their majority in the Congress and in the Senate, for instance. At that point, as Gavin Newsom prepares to take his second oath of office as governor of the state of California in January of 2023, he's got to be thinking about that calendar, the presidential calendar for 2024, would you say? And And assuming that Vice President Harris continues to be in the doldrums, what do you think 2023 might augur for Gavin Newsom's career on the national stage? There there has been a bromance, a political cousin (laughs) affiliation between the vice president and the governor that has really papered, papered over their differences and their political ambitions, whether that's been uh, an agreement between the two of them that has allowed each other's political careers to move forward. They they do clash if the vice president is unable to turn around or blunt some of those Democratic losses from into in November of 2022. In addition, the governor needs he has his own challenges and he needs Mm -hmm. to demonstrate that he has some policy successes the way they have governed. And the way they have dealt with the governor is they have put him out onto sizzle events. They've put him out into media-centered events that uh, allow him to wax poetically about the promise of California and the promise of what they're going to do. And that has made some liberal groups, like healthcare groups, like nurses, uh, it, it is it, like unions, like other entities, nervous about what the governor can actually deliver. And that's where the governor's uh, had some difficulty because he has real problems telling people no in terms of uh, hard decisions that are in his base. So that means that he potentially has to look at other opportunities. What do those look like? Mm -hmm. Well, that might not necessarily involve running for uh, the biggest office in the land because there's going to be other rivals there who've run for president 
and done so well, that would be someone like Mayor Pete. Mm-hmm. Obviously, uh, the vice president will be in that conversation, but it does provide him an opportunity to look at what comes next with with a another political godmother of his, and that would be certainly Senator Feinstein. And then, despite what happens with her or where where she goes with her political career, he has to look at some place that moves up because he's blocked. He's also young enough, however, to look past 2024 into the 2028 period. So where we are right now is we are in this period after the 2020 election, after the January 6th uprising and the recall, potential recall of a California governor. We are at a pivot point that is the term that 2022 and 2024 determine the future directions of democratic politics nationally via San Francisco in Northern California and these political players that we've talked about, and also potentially what is going on with the Republican Party and how that's changing. This really is an inflection moment. COVID's a big part of that, but also the political dynamic between Gavin Newsom and Kamala Harris is a huge component mm-hmm. amidst the background of generational change as we see folks like Nancy Pelosi and perhaps Diane Feinstein moving past their political careers to the next phases of their lives. Assuming that, of course, that Diane, well, both Diane and Nancy will be moving from center stage. I mean, Nancy has made it clear that I believe this is going to be her last term starting in 2022. And while Diane has not said that she would be up for re-election in four years' time. I, I would doubt it. She would be ni- uh, she'd be 91 years old. Uh, of course, you've got to assume that she may be moving on. Is that a, a step? Is that a position that Gavin Newsom might look to, to burnish his national reputation? I think there are a number of places that, that Gavin Newsom and his team would look at all possible options. The U.S. Senate would present an option. It would make someone who is the junior senator, Senator Padilla, now the senior senator, if that were to happen. But essentially, they are political compatriots, if you will, compadres, if you will, Uh in terms of what they're doing. That provides an opportunity for Gavin Newsom to raise his stature. But he also could be involved in some level with the party. I don't think he would take a page out of someone like Jerry Brown's book who started, you know, his, his a third movement or an or a counter movement mm-hmm. to build his profile. He he has to do more than write a children's book. He has to do more <laughs> than raise money outside of of that, but he that he and his team would look at all options. And 2024 may be too soon to do that. Given the national churning that is going on by other Democratic actors, not just Mayor Pete or Secretary Pete Buttigieg, but other Democrats who potentially want to play a role, and and you run up against that. So Gavin Newsom needs to, if you will, he will talk, I think, in his State of the State in early January about his focus being on getting California past COVID, showing California – and showing the nation what California can do. And he's going to talk about spillover effects from the California dream to reinventing the American dream, to re-energizing the American dream. That is a, a political place that he can draw some focus on without getting too much backlash, especially since there are no rivals at the top of the ticket for Republicans in terms of California statewide politics. David, let's look at the legislature, the California legislature agenda for 2022. Of course, we spoke about CalCare. 
are there any major policy reforms and potential wins for the Democrats and for Governor Newsom coming in 2022 before he runs for re-election in November? Or do you think he might just play it safe and he doesn't want to have doesn't want to have the knockdown drawn out fight over Calcare in the year that he's running for re-election or some other big signature marquee victory? Wins handily in in, in September in the recall. Yes. He, is first elected in 2018 and he just he just kills the republicans and and they love to put him on fox news and to talk about him as a san francisco liberal and yet there are all of these difficulties amidst a surplus of governing that they haven't and he and his team haven't been able to solve and so i think cynically they're going to take a pass they're going to leave many of the hard decisions to the legislature in terms of details, whether we're looking at some of those hard things on health care, on housing, or particularly a really difficult issue that's a real mess is cannabis. And, mm. and they're going to take a pass there. And now that allows them a glide path into, if you will, into the November past the primary and top two and into the November election period. So if you're Republicans, you want Gavin Newsom facing a far left, really progressive, push to the, push him to the left, a potential candidate who could draw him into a top two, pass the top two primary into November and keep dragging him to the left to use that as, as a national rallying cry. This is where things like the DA's race and, and the recall, if you will, of the DA in San Francisco yes. becomes a calling card for Republicans nationally because it becomes a pox on Pelosi, a pox on Newsom, and a pox on Harris, and by extension, a pox on all Democrats. That's something I think to watch. The other component to this is where all of the hard decisions are going to be made as the governor and his team pass on a lot of big ticket things is going to be in the direct democracy or the ballot measure side of things. We're looking at a ballot next November that'll have at least 12 measures on there. Maybe maybe more than 20, and it's going to set records, and it potentially is going to be over a billion dollars on those 12 to 20 ballot measures. Everything of substance, and it's huge, not just gambling online or, or casinos or uh, gaming facilities. That's not going to be the only place. It's all going to be happening through the direct democracy ballot. So if you're a sinner, if you drink, if you smoke, if you gamble, if you're human, right? All of that is going to be on the direct democracy ballot. That's where the big action will be. It won't necessarily be in the candidates or with the candidates themselves. So I, I would watch that period from, say, the warm-up act of the recall of the DA of San Francisco pass that with top two into the direct democracy period and the battles that will occur in November of 2022. David, do you foresee the DA race, the recall race here in San Francisco, which I believe is February 15th, the recall race, and it looks as though he's he's going to go down to ignominious defeat. It, do you see that as going national? Do you see that as being something that the the Republicans, conservative movement across the country is going to try to hang around Gavin Newsom's neck? Yeah, th- thank you very much. I, I, I do. I, what's going to happen is Republicans are going to nationalize that race because they're going to talk about retail thefts in Union Square. They're going to talk about lawlessness, homelessness. They're going to talk about 
San Francisco not as that icon of the American dream or the California dream or all that is right and good under the sun. They're going to talk about San Francisco as the bad Baghdad by the Bay in that <laughs> sense. And they're, they're really going to push on and nationalize what is going on with the DA's race to place that around the governor, the speaker and the vice president mm. and by extension, the Democratic brand. And I think they will carry that through. One thing to watch would be the degree of dollars and attention that is drawn by national Republicans to the DA's race in San Francisco. You could do the same thing in Los Angeles or at least visit this or talk about this. And that gives you the potential to talk about the defund movement if you're Donald Trump. If you're Kevin McCarthy, if you're Mitch McConnell, it allows you to draw those pictures that are directly the opposite of what Democrats are talking about as they're trying to find the votes for Build Back Better. Well, David, in the remaining few minutes of our podcast, do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners? I mean, you've given us a very broad and detailed sweep of where we've come from in 2021, and you've set the stage for a very exciting and seismic 2022 here in California, going from the sublime, the re-election of uh, Governor Newsom, to the not-so-sublime, the the DA's race and how that could be nationalized. Any closing thoughts for our listeners, please, David? Sure. I, I think one thing, as we reflect on 2021 and what happened under COVID in the country, in California, and certainly in the Bay Area, and think about potentially what that means for 2022, is that there is a broader conversation going on about changes that are affecting us around climate and what's happening with climate change, around inequality, jobs, our relationship to each other and to our places of work. And, and that's what is so interesting and exciting about the Bay Area, about San Francisco, and about California. And, and the one thing I want to add is that Joan Didion, right, the writer, recently passed away. She wrote in 1968 that, that California is a place in which a boom mentality and a sense of Chekhovian loss meet in uneasy suspension. And that's exactly <laughs> where we're at. Yes. We're in a place of, of a boom mentality, yes. a sense of Chekhovian loss in an uneasy suspension because where the shore ends and you look across the ocean, it is about potential that's what the, we're seeing here, the potential that these politicians have and political leaders have to revive their fortunes, to lead, or is it going to be a place that is met with loss and in that sense is used by others to talk about America's best days as being behind it and not ahead of it? And that is a very exciting time, especially as we move into this pivot period of 2022 to 2024. David, I want to thank you very much for taking time. And I know you just came back from, from a trip this morning to join us here on the podcast. Very insightful. And I think you've given us a great deal to think about for 2022. And I don't know any other political observer who's able to quote Joan Didion, <laughs> <laughs> and and for it to and for it to 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 tie up the entire show so once again david thanks so much for being with us and rest assured we'll be calling on you for your expertise throughout 2022 
Well, I look forward to it, and I, I always uh, use that quote by Joan Didion, and I, I wanted to certainly give an homage to her as well and, and where we're at. So again, thank you very much for having me. It's always a pleasure. I'll always be here for you. Thank you very much, David. It's my pleasure. And for our listeners, please take a moment to visit our website, www.thesanfranciscoexperiencepodcast.com and subscribe. It's free and easy to do so. Also, it's easier than ever to listen to any of the past 225 episodes as we've divided them into 13 different categories so you can choose your favorite topic very easily. Also, don't forget to rate us on Spotify.com's new rating system. Open the TSFE on your Spotify app and rate the show. This has been the San Francisco Experience with your host, Jim Herlihy, reporting to you from America's favorite city, San Francisco.